We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Take your Bible this morning, turn with me to John chapter 4. We're concluding the series, The Gift or the Giver, this morning. Started this series on Pentecost Sunday, May the 20th. We spent a couple of messages talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how the preeminence needs to be on the Holy Spirit, not on the gifts. Today I want to wind this up by pointing our attention to Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and how our attention, our focus must always be on Jesus as the giver of every good thing you and I receive. So today we're going to be talking about the gifts or the giver. John chapter 4, begin reading in verse 46, and we'll read through the end of that chapter. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people, and the King James says you, unless you see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. So Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. And now as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. He himself believed in his whole household. And this again is the second sign Jesus did when he come out of Judea into Galilee. Father, we thank you this morning for the authority of your word, for its truth and its application to our lives today. We pray that in this room this morning, hearts and lives would be touched and changed by the power of a living God. I pray for those individuals who have come into this service this morning, this morning wondering, is there really help? Is there really hope? Is there really a way out of the situation I'm in? Today, show them Jesus. Today, show them the power of a living God. Today, let them see the giver rather than the gift. I pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. A few weeks ago, when I first read this scripture and read the story of a grieving father, a panicked father, a father whose son was actually dying, coming to Jesus, and then I read Jesus' response, I thought, wow, that's a little bit harsh. Because when you read the story, Jesus didn't say, oh, sir, my heart is filled with compassion for you. I'm so sorry for what you're going through. But rather, the Bible says he rebuked him. He rebuked him. He didn't reach out to him and affirm him, but rather he rebuked him. Do you realize this man had just walked 20 miles from Capernaum to Cana? Because he heard that Jesus was there, and somehow he believed that some way Jesus might be able to intervene in the situation with his son. But verse 48 says that when he made his request to Jesus, Jesus said, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll not believe. Now that's pretty harsh. So I broke it down and started looking at it in the Greek and I realized that really the audience that Jesus speak, was speaking to was not just that father. 
but rather he was talking to the crowd that had gathered. And by extension, he was talking to you and me. He was saying, down through the ages, anytime someone wants something from me, they're looking at the gift rather than the giver. And he made that rebuke because he wanted to focus the man's attention, not upon the healing of the son, but upon the one who was able to make that healing occur. So one more time, I want to challenge you today to place the emphasis upon the giver rather than the gift. Because anytime we place emphasis upon the gift rather than the giver, as soon as the need is met, as soon as we've received the gift, as soon as we have what we've asked for, we forget the giver. It's just a memory. Oh yeah, I remember Jesus. I do remember that he did do something for me, but I'm not going to follow him. You see, the crowd that day in Cana was interested in what Jesus could do rather than in who Jesus was. And today he's driving home the point in our life that more than anything, he wants us to understand who he is. And it's out of who he is, out of his person, out of his deity, out of his grace and out of his mercy that we receive from him. But everything we receive is predicated upon who he is. So can I challenge you today to focus on the giver rather than the gift? Maybe even you yourself have had experience with this type of a thing. Maybe you suddenly came into some money. And all of a sudden, every Tom, Dick, and Harry was your best friend. Anybody ever experienced that? They were there for what they could get from you, not because they wanted to be with you. This is the story that's set up for us in this passage of Scripture this morning. Not only was the father there just to get healing for his son, but so was the crowd. They had gathered because they heard what Jesus could do. They really didn't want Jesus. They wanted what Jesus could give them. See, it's a modern uh, problem as well. We face it every day in the church as well. In chapter 4, verse 45 of our text, the Bible says, The Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Well, what did he do at the feast? We need to know that, don't we? So we turn to John chapter 2 and we read it in verse 23, and it says these words, When he was in Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover, many people saw the miraculous signs that he was doing and believed in his name. They saw the miracles. They saw that he was a man of great power. They saw that there was something different about this particular rabbi, this particular teacher, and they were drawn to him because of the signs and the miracles. Now he's come back to Cana, and Cana, as you remember, was the site of his first miracle. When he attended the wedding, his mother said to him, they've run out of wine. He said, what's that to me? He kind of rebuked her too. And then she said to the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do. And he turned the water into wine. Everyone knows that story, right? So did these folks in Cana. Word got around that something miraculous was attached to this guy. If you needed something that was supernatural. If you needed something that couldn't be supplied through the natural, go see Jesus. So when he came back to Cana, the crowd was gathered. And they gathered because they remembered what he had done, not only at the wedding, but they remember what he did at the Passover. 
The scripture's pretty silent about what those acts were, but obviously they were miraculous. They were wonderful. They were powerful. So they gathered that day, not because of who Jesus is, but because of what Jesus could do. Really, when you read this text, it's almost like Jesus became a spiritual ATM. I'm just going to step up, punch in my number, and take a withdrawal. I need some healing today. I need some provision today. I need some peace today. I need some encouragement today. Listen to me. Jesus wants to touch you. But first and foremost, he wants to reveal to you who he is and what he wants to do in your life. He wants to show you his grace and show you his mercy. These folks confuse the things Jesus did with Jesus. And that's a problem today as well. We confuse the things he does with him. We confuse church with Jesus. You know, if if we don't have a building, then we're not going to worship him. If it's storming outside, we're not going to worship him. If we've got a family reunion, we're not going to worship him. If the songs aren't to our liking, we're not going to worship him. If the preacher is boring, we're not going to worship him. If the sound is too loud, we're not going to worship him. If the sound is too soft, we're not going to worship him. God bless every sound man. You have the hardest job in the entire world. God bless you and bless you and bless you. If it's too hot, we're not going to worship him. If it's too cold, we're not going to... Do you hear what I'm saying? We confuse things about Jesus with Jesus. We come into this house, not so we can talk about him, but so that we can experience him. So that his presence can fill our hearts and change our lives, so that we can be made more like him. Too often we confuse the things done in worship for worship. Listen, the worship team can be right on. They can be singing the greatest songs in the world. But until I open my heart and I begin to worship the King of Kings, worship has not occurred. It doesn't matter how many songs you sing. It doesn't matter how good the music is. Until I begin to worship Him, worship has not occurred. You see, we let so many things get in in the way of that. We let so many opinions stand between us and worshiping Jesus. So often we come to church just for what we can get from Him rather than to worship Him. We put more value on the gift than upon the giver. So when you read the text this morning, it's obvious that Jesus realized this dude, and can I borrow the expression, need to have a come-to-Jesus moment. He needed to have a wake-up call. He needed to be shook a little bit so he could understand what was really going on. And he had to understand if you're going to be acceptable to God, you have to come to Jesus Christ and love him for who he is, not for what he does. Let me ask you, if he never did another thing for you, would you still love him? You should, because he's already done the most significant thing in the world. He died for you. He forgave you. He's given you new life. He's given you hope and a future. Oh, if he never healed my body again, if he never met another need, it's reason to worship him because of who he is. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Lord God Almighty. So when we have that come to Jesus meeting, we don't need a building. We don't need a preacher. 
We don't need fine songs and great worship. All we need is the realization that the giver is more valuable than the gift. The giver is the reason we come. You see, this text, it's all about that come to Jesus moment. The father had walked 20 miles to find Jesus and to ask him to heal his son. But really, once that work was done, he probably would have forgotten all about him. He would never have followed him. He would have remembered, but he wouldn't have acted upon that memory. Another thing we learn in our text is this father was an official in Judea. He was a nobleman. He was rich. He was powerful. So you would think when this guy approached Jesus, he may have had a little bit of different attitude towards him. I mean, if he's going to meet anyone's need, why not meet the need of the wealthy and the powerful, right? And after all, he had just walked 20 miles to get there. So he could ask Jesus to heal his son. The Bible says in verse 37, when the man heard that Jesus came from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now put yourself in that father's position. Your son is dying. There's nothing that can be done. You need a miracle. I would walk 20 miles for that miracle, wouldn't you? I would use all my influence for that miracle, wouldn't you? If I had wealth, if I had power and position, I would use every bit of it to influence the outcome so that my son would not die, but so that he would live. This is the opinion. This is the thinking of this nobleman. But when he came to Jesus, Jesus said, you're not going to believe unless you see miracles. Unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. What was Jesus saying in that statement? He was saying, it's not about the outcome. It's about who you believe in. It's not about the healing. It's about the healer. It's not about the gift. It's about the giver. Except you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. He's calling us to wake up and recognize the things we associate with him are not necessarily him. It's time to value the gift and the giver. And recognize Jesus is the author of those gifts. Jesus is addressing one of the leading officials. And he speaks to him. This is what I want you to hear. Jesus is an itinerant preacher. He grew up as a carpenter's son in Nazareth. He has no fame, no reputation, no formal education that we can document. Yet he speaks to this guy with authority. He speaks to this nobleman as though Jesus himself were the king. He speaks to him and tells him, it's going to be done. Oh, hear me this morning. When you choose to believe the word of God, you begin to flow into the authority of God. You begin to experience the promises of God. But it doesn't happen until you get over the gift and begin seeking the giver and experience what God has for you. Says the man believed. And when he believed that authority was exercised, Jesus said in verse 50, Go your way, your son will live. And I have really wrestled with Scripture for the last several weeks. What is it in that conversation that caused this man to be a believer? What is it in those simple words that are outlined in the book of John that changed him from a man just seeking a miracle to a man who believed in Jesus? What happened? Because the words don't bear that type of a, uh, of a experience. 
It just says, Jesus said to him, go your way, your son will live. Was it something in his tone? Was it something in his facial expression? Or was it simply the spiritual authority that he was endued with by the Holy Spirit of the living God that broke through that man's crusty heart and caused him to see this is not just another rabbi. This is the king of the Jews. This is the Messiah. This is the promised one of God. What is it that happened? We don't know. And the scripture doesn't tell us. But there was an aha moment that happened in that man's life. In that come to Jesus meeting, all of a sudden, the light bulbs came on. And he realized, this guy, Jesus, is speaking with authority. He's speaking as a king. Because the next verse says in verse 50, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Now remember, why did he come? He came and he said, would you come with me 20 miles to my house in Capernaum where my son is sick and you can heal him? That was his initial request. Jesus said, unless you see signs and wonders, you're not even going to believe. He rebuked him. And then he said, go your way, your son lives. And something happened in that moment. Something that does not compute in the logic of mankind that can only be assimilated, only understood through the power of the Spirit of God working in your heart and mind. Something happened that caused him to say he believed the word of Jesus and went on his way. Somebody in this room, this scripture is for you this morning. You've been wondering, you've been questioning, you've been wrestling, and I've come to tell you it's time to believe the word of God. It's time to believe the promise of God. That what God has spoken in you and over you is His promise for you. It's time to stop doubting it. It's time to stop running from it. It's time to believe the Word of God. Because when you believe the Word of God, that's when the authority of God and the power of God begin moving in visible ways in your life. You need a miracle today? Believe the Word of God because I serve a miracle-working God. You need a healing today? Believe the Word of God. He sent His Word to heal you. By His stripes, you were healed. Believe the Word of God and watch what God will do. You need provision in your life today? Believe the Word of God. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. If you need a miracle of provision today seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you you need peace in your life today oh come and find the counselor the great prince of peace the one who has already paid the price for your peace and receive it from him today you need direction you need hope you need future oh then come and know that he is the God who has already said to you I know the thoughts I think towards you they are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end newer translations say to give you hope and future believe the word of God see that's what happened that's the transformation This man went from being someone looking for a gift to someone believing in the giver. Someone just seeking a healing to someone seeking the healer. Tom, would you come back? Someone who understood all of a sudden by the dynamic of the Holy Spirit that God was doing something inside of him. 
Listen, you can't come to Jesus except he draws you. But when he draws you, when he reaches out to you and brings you in, he gives you the ability to believe the word of God. The Bible says this man believed the word of God. That's what you need this morning. You've been seeking, you've been searching, you've been asking. Today, believe the word of God. Believe what Jesus has spoken in and over your life. He didn't argue. He didn't say, but, but Jesus, I came so you could go with me. He didn't try to offer a better plan. He didn't try to reason or bargain with Jesus. He believed the word of God and went on his way. He believed that his son would live and he headed home. Matter of, look at verses, matter of fact, look at verses 51 through 53. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So was his belief in vain? No. When he chose to believe the word of Jesus, the miracle occurred. When he chose to act on what Jesus told him, the miracle happened. Then he asked them, the hour when he began to get better, he said, what time was it when he started to recover? And they said to him, well, it was about the seventh hour yesterday when the fever left him. And he knew, listen, he believed first, he believed first, and then he knew. Belief always precedes knowledge. Belief always precedes assurance. Belief always precedes that, that, that confirmation of the work of God in your life. He believed and then he knew. He knew, he knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. I've come to tell you this morning, this is a now moment. This is a moment when you can know what God has promised is going to come to pass. When you choose to believe, then you will also know the word of God is true. We look at that passage description, that's exciting, that's wonderful. But if all you see is a healing in this passage, you miss the whole point. Because the last part of verse 53 says these words, and he, the father himself, believed and all his household. He believed on Jesus, but not just him. All of his household. That's his wife, that's his children, that's his servants, that's everybody who is under his roof and under his responsibility believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, hear me, folks. I want you to tell you, when you begin to believe the Word of God, you can start an avalanche in your family. You can start an avalanche in your home. You can start an avalanche in your circle of influence. If you will believe and then know, watch what happens to those around you. They're drawn to Him. Their lives are transformed because of what God is doing in and through you. We think about signs and miracles. We pray for them today. But do you realize Jesus didn't do miracles for the sake of miracles? He did miracles to bring people to a place of belief. To draw attention to his authority. To lend credibility to who he really was. The first miracle Jesus did turning the water into wine. We're told in John chapter 2 verse 11. After that miracle... His disciples believed in him. With this miracle, we're told that this man and his whole household believed in Jesus. Every gift that Jesus offers has one point and one purpose. 
And that's to point men to Him. To develop faith in Him. To cause men to turn to Him. It's not so that we can say, look what I have done. Look at the gift I have. Look what God has done through me. No, it's to point men to Jesus Christ. And help them see He is the answer. He is the way. He is the hope. He is the truth. He is the life. So the question this morning, which is more important? Is it the gift or is it the giver? Is the immediate need being met or is it that relationship with the living God who never leaves us nor forsakes us? I started to open this series with the story, but then I felt it may be better here because I want you to remember the rest of your days, the giver is far more important than the gift. The giver is far more important than the gift. When my kids were small and growing up, I taught them to be very specific with the request. Not only in their prayers, as we taught them to pray, but I taught them to be specific in the request when it was birthday and Christmas and times when they'd be getting presents from me. And I can remember when my oldest son, Chris, was just about ready to turn six. I said to him one day, Chris, have you thought about what you want for your birthday? And usually he would say something to me like, yeah, Dad, I want a new ball glove. Go to Walmart. It's an aisle six. It's right below the skateboards. And it's the black one, not the brown one. He would be that specific. Or he would say, yeah, Dad, I want a new bicycle, and it's red, and it's blue, and you'll find it down at the hardware store. Go talk to Jay, who owns the store. He knows the one I want because I already told him. He would be that specific. So that day when I asked him the question, what do you want for your sixth birthday? He said, I want a ball. Now, you got to understand this kid. He'd had balls since he was able to crawl. He loved anything that had to do with a ball. Something, well, that's a little bit odd, but okay. So, Chris, what kind of a ball do you want? And he paused and he said, Well, it kind of depends. He said, If, he said, I'd really like to have a football if you think you're going to have time to play catch this year. So, we can go out in the backyard and throw that ball to each other. But dad, if you think you're going to be too busy this year, why don't you just get me a soccer ball? Then I can play with the neighborhood kids. Taught me a lesson I've never forgotten. And the lesson is this, the giver is much more important than the gift. He wasn't interested in a ball. He was interested in spending time with his dad. Hear me this morning, church. Too many of us look only at the gift and we forget the giver. When God is saying to us this morning, the most important thing you can seek is the giver. Is the giver. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this room. The father came to Jesus expecting a healing. And instead, he received new life. He came to Jesus asking for one thing and receiving something totally different. When I asked Chris that question, I wasn't prepared for the answer. Rocked my world as a dad. If you think you're going to have time, would you buy a football so we can play catch in the backyard together? The giver is saying to you this morning, if you'll make time for me, I'm going to step into your life.
I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to show things to you you've never dreamt were possible. If you'll make time for me, I'm going to teach you truths that are timeless and eternal and powerful. If you'll make time for me, I'll show you the value of the giver rather than the value of the gift. Across this room this morning, you're here. You say, Pastor Steve, more than anything, I need the giver in my life today. I need Jesus in my life today. I need him to spend some time with me. I need him to invest in my life. I need him to hear my cry, to heal my heart, to forgive my sin. Whatever your need may be, I need the giver. Right where you sit, that's you. Would you slip up your hand and say, pray for me. I need the giver. Yes, others, others, yes, others. Others across this room this morning, so many. Others, I need the giver. Stand to your feet with me today, please. Everyone across this room, stand to your feet. Tom, I want you to begin to sing this song. And as Tom begins to sing, ushers, would you come? Begin distributing the elements of communion. Because this morning as we hold the wafer in the cup, we hold the symbol of our giver. His broken body, his shed blood. And as we begin to partake of communion in just a moment, please go ahead and begin distributing the elements. In just a moment, we're going to pray for those of you who raised your hand. And God's going to touch you and do a work in your heart and in your life. Sing it out, Tom, as we receive these elements. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida. A multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.